The remaining weeks pass swiftly, and it is a mercy that they do. My son is growing so rapidly now that my belly itches constantly, the skin stretched nearly to the breaking point. With three weeks remaining, he has grown so large that I look like a woman carrying triplets. Just getting from my bed to the bathroom and back has become exhausting. I am constantly, insatiably hungry. John, being the sweet creature that he is, takes time off work and cares for me, serving me five meals a day and helping me bathe, since I can no longer reach below my own waist. At times, I wonder if my pregnancy has gotten too extreme even for his taste, but he never gives a moment's indication that he is anything but thrilled to be a witness to my transformation. A week before my due date, I have him drive me out to my church's retreat center. It is located on a secluded plot in the winding back roads of northwest Sonoma County, far from prying eyes, hidden away amidst a grove of ancient trees. John looks up and around nervously at the towering redwoods, then back to the rutted, rock-strewn path that takes us through them. Are you sure we're on the right road? he asks. He taps the GPS unit, which has been frozen on the message, searching for satellites, for the last half hour. It doesn't do any good. This is the place, I assure him. We should see it very soon. And indeed we do. Broad, low, roughly dome-shaped buildings, camouflaged to blend into their surroundings. The sign at the entrance isn't in English. The script isn't even Roman, or anything else a modern European would recognize. I close my eyes for a moment and smile. I can feel the Great Mother's welcome in this place. I can't walk anymore, so I send John inside to speak to whoever is on duty. He comes out a few minutes later with two attendants in a wheelchair, and together they lift me out of the car and into the seat. My son writhes and strikes at my internal organs, displeased at all the commotion. I grit my teeth and bear it in silence. Not long now. Not long. My midwife greets us inside, shaking John's hand before gripping mine warmly. I'm very glad to see you here, she tells him. As you can see, Cindy's pregnancy has been difficult. We feel it's very important for her partner to be there for her when her son is born. John pats my shoulder fondly. I wouldn't miss it. I can't wait to meet this little person inside her. I'm sure he feels the same about you, the midwife says. If you'll bring her this way. She leads us through the main entrance into the lobby, a quiet, unremarkable space, with dim lighting, blank walls, and that office flooring made of little movable carpet squares. There are no logos or symbols, nothing to indicate the deep spiritual significance of this place. As I told John, our religion is very old. Hiding in plain sight has become second nature to us. We go down a few hallways and come to an ordinary-looking medical ward, with several rooms arranged around a nurse's station. They roll me inside one of the rooms and lift me out to the hospital bed. It takes a few minutes of fiddling with the controls to find a position that feels comfortable for me. Once I'm settled, John covers me with the blankets and kisses my brow. It won't be long now, he assures me. All I want to do now is sleep. The act of getting here took the last drop of strength I had left. The nurse and her aide hook me up to half a dozen pieces of monitoring equipment. 
The church's obstetrician examines me and prescribes a saline drip and a feeding tube, since my son is now demanding more calories than I have the strength to eat. That seems to finally quiet him down, and I quickly fall asleep. The last thing I remember is John holding my hand. When I wake up, Great Mother only knows how long later, John is slumped in a chair at my bedside, asleep. I find myself staring at him, watching his chest rise and fall. Suddenly, I feel guilty. This is a good man, with many good years ahead of him. What am I doing, tying him to my son's destiny? I am the one who chose to bring my son into this world. I should be willing to bear the responsibility of that decision, not lay it at this man's feet simply because he is convenient. Is my faith in the Great Mother so weak? Do I imagine that somehow I will not be enough for my son? I do not know how long I wrestle with these thoughts. Part of me wants to wake John up, to tell him to forget me, to leave me here. I have asked too much of him. I do not deserve such selflessness. But then my son stirs inside of me, and for once his touch is tender, gently caressing my insides. I can hear his voice in my mind. Be strong, mother. I need you, and I need him. Do this for me. And what can I say to that? Is there anything a mother would not do for her child? I touch my belly and smile, silently directing my thoughts inward. You will have the best that I can give you. You deserve nothing less. And after that... I fall asleep again, resting peacefully. John offers to rent a room at a nearby hotel, but the closest one is almost an hour away. Instead, the midwife arranges quarters for him in one of the small outlying cabins used for meditation and spiritual retreat. The next time I see him, he is showered and dressed in fresh clothes, but his eyes still look puffy and tired. I take his hand and squeeze it when he sits at my bedside. How are you holding up? I ask him. All right, he says, then adds, I didn't sleep well. I had strange dreams. Oh, strange how? He shakes his head. I dreamt I was walking through those woods outside. I saw this big, black cloud hanging overhead, only it wasn't really a cloud. It was moving on its own, reaching out for things. I could see something like, like eyes in the cloud, and then it seemed to see me. The cloud reached for me. I, I ran, but it surrounded me, covered me. I am listening very intently now. Then what happened? John looks down at his hands and I could swear he's blushing. I was stumbling in the darkness, trying to run, but I couldn't see anything, when this woman appeared right in front of me. Or at least I thought she was a woman. She had dark, dark skin, and big breasts and wide hips, and she was pregnant. But her head wasn't a human head. 
It reminded me of that god Baphomet that we were talking about a few weeks ago, like a ram or a goat, but it had six eyes, or maybe it was eight, and they were glowing. I am in awe. Few of the faithful ever receive such a vision, and even fewer non-believers. Did she say anything to you? Yes, John says, frowning. She pointed to me and said, You will bear my young. He looks up at me, seemingly overwhelmed. And then I woke up. Cindy, I've never had a dream like that before. It was so real. It is a sign, I tell him. You have seen the black goat of the woods. It is one of the forms the Great Mother takes in order to speak to us. But what does that mean? John asks. You will bear my young? You're the one who's pregnant. I'm just here for moral support. So if this was a vision, why did it come to me and not you? The gods don't think the same way we do. Human language is difficult for them. It's the reason their messages are so often misunderstood. Perhaps she meant bear in the sense to carry, to lift up or support. I smile. This is a great blessing, John. The Great Mother wants you to be deeply involved in my son's life. John still looks doubtful, but he pats my hand and tries to smile. Well, I'm here. That's the first step, right? Indeed it is. I agree, and say no more about it. That night, the black goat visits me in my dreams as well. I dream that I am awakened by a crash of thunder, something nearly unheard of in this part of the country. I look around at my hospital room, and between one flash of lightning and the next, she appears. She stands over my bed, her eyes glowing in the darkness, her expression unreadable. I would bow to her, but my son has now grown so large that I cannot even sit up on my own. Weakly, I raise my hand and touch it to my brow in a gesture of obeisance. Great Mother, I whisper, you honor me. My goddess remains silent, but a flood of abstract impressions washes over my mind. Pleasure, anticipation, hunger. My son thrashes and writhes more strongly than ever before. The black goat reaches out a hand, slender and clawed, and places it atop my belly. At last, she speaks. It is time. A searing pain shoots through me, and I wake up screaming. My entire body convulses, and my son strikes again at the walls of his prison. I am dimly aware of a spreading wetness on the bed between my legs. The monitoring equipment I am connected to begins competing with my screams. The midwife comes rushing in barely two minutes later, followed by the nurse and her aide. The midwife lifts the covers for only a moment before dropping them. It's begun, she says. We're taking her to the birthing chamber, now. She turns to the aide. Go wake the consort and bring him downstairs immediately. Yes, ma'am, the aide says, and runs off. They unhook me from everything but the IV line and wheel me out to the elevator, moving as fast as they probably dare. 
I can see my stomach distending, first one way, then another, as a crushing pain seizes my insides. It feels like my son is trying to tear his way out of me. In the elevator now, and I can't even feel it moving downward, the pain is all-encompassing. I can feel my son's emotions, his desperation to be free, his hunger for his first meal. He is so very strong now. The elevator doors slide open, and cool, wet air washes over me. The birthing pool sits in the middle of the room, surrounded by a broad expanse of cement. Intricate geometric figures are permanently carved in the floor around the pool, but I only know that because I have been here before. They wheel me to the edge of the pool, lift me up, and ease me down into the water. The pool is warm, more like a comfortable bath than a swimming pool, and only about two feet deep. As soon as my body hits the water, my son seems to relax. The pain subsides. I lay back against the side of the pool, which is contoured for this purpose. The midwife helps me to get my feet into the stirrups, which are mounted to the floor of the pool. All right, Cindy. I want you to breathe, just like we practiced. John? Where's John? I demand, feeling the panic rising up again. He'll be here, the midwife assures me. Now breathe. I try to focus on my breathing, willing my body to relax. Around the edges of the pool, other members of the retreat center staff are taking their places, kneeling at precise intervals around those geometric carvings. They have begun to pray to the Great Mother, their voices low and sonorous. I hear the elevator doors open, and then the sound of running footsteps. Cindy? John comes to the edge of the pool, stops, looks around in bewilderment at the birthing chamber and its occupants. What the hell? John, I cry. Quickly, step into the water. He hesitates. I'm not... Is that safe? I mean, I haven't been scrubbed or anything. You could get an infection. The midwife turns to look at him, fury in her eyes. Do you want her to live? Then I need your help. Come here, now. John apparently decides that his questions can wait until later. He was clearly roused from sleep, and is wearing only a t-shirt and gym shorts, so he steps into the water without having to worry about shoes. He casts one more dubious eye at the circle of the faithful, before turning his attention to the midwife. What do I do? She gestures to a spot between my legs. Kneel here. The child will emerge into the water. You must reach out and guide it to the surface. Okay? John kneels, looks up at me. Um, what will you be doing? Calling the child into the world. The midwife steps out of the pool and takes up position just behind my head. Close the circle, she commands the others. As one, the faithful draw knives and slash them across their open palms. Blood drips down into the channels on the floor, and there is a snap of air, like an electric shock running around the circle. The prayers of the faithful become a chant in the ancient tongue of our religion. The midwife raises her head and stretches her hands wide. Yeah! Great mother of thousands, I call on you. By your many names, I summon you. Tiamat, Echidna, Estarte, Shubnigarath, your servant is here before you. 
The gate is open. Let your child come forth. John looks around, his eyes wide. What's going on? What are they doing? John, John. He turns his eyes back to me. I smile at him, bittersweet. You're a good man, John. You've been so kind to us, to me and my son. Only one thing remains. I can feel myself opening wider, making way for my son to enter the world. My son begins to move again, responding to the contractions in my uterus. He has longed to be free, and now my body is ready to release him. The midwife lets out an ululating cry. The black goat with a thousand young! The black goat with a thousand young! The others shout. My uterus contracts again, and I push with all my might. I can feel my son making his way out of me, sliding, writhing, crawling to be free. Close, so close. John looks down between my legs, and his face goes pale with fright. He turns and bolts for the edge of the circle, but the empty air stops him like a brick wall. He tries again, pushing, pounding with his fists on the unseen wall of force, but the circle has been set perfectly. With my son coming into the world, there was no other choice. I give one last great push, and I feel my son slip free of me, sinking into the water with a quiet splash. The sudden emptiness within me comes as a shock and a relief. I am not worried about my son. He is the great mother's child, and as she formed the primordial seas from which nameless things first filled the ancient world, so my son takes to the water as his natural domain. The birthing has exhausted me, but I have just enough strength to sit up a little and watch what happens next. My son moves through the pool a black shadow within the waters. Amorphous tendrils stretch out in all directions, searching, sensing, propelling him forward as sinuously as an eel. He is beautiful chaos, the primordial life of this world born anew. And he is hungry. John, having heard the splash as my son entered the water, looks over his shoulder. He sees the shadow swimming toward him. He screams again, climbs up onto the edge of the pool, trying to balance on the narrow strip of cement between the pool and the circle. My son reaches up, embraces him in glistening black arms, and begins pulling downward. He is very strong, despite his comparatively small size, and John is off balance. John turns to lock eyes with me, uncomprehending horror on his face. Cindy... His voice is little more than a whimper. Then he falls into the water. My son envelops John in seconds, cutting off his screams. The water churns and roils. The faithful continue their chants. I pant for breath and watch, eyes wide. I have never seen this before, and while I have been told what to expect, I am still filled with anticipation. The thrashing ceases, and the water goes still. All I see is a shapeless black form, 
my son surrounding the body like a cocoon. Then, gradually, the black shape contracts. Arms, legs, and head appear, blurry and indistinct at first, then sharper. The cocoon becomes a thin skin of glistening black around an obviously human form. The figure moves, drawing its legs beneath it, and then, slowly, rising to its feet. It is unspeakably beautiful, a basalt statue brought to life. The water drips from the body as the head turns to face me. The face is strong, masculine, and familiar. The figure's eyes are as black as the rest of him, but they seem to focus on me. I stare back, transfixed. Slowly, the black recedes from the body, seeping in through the skin, until only the eyes remain that perfect, glossy, midnight black. The body that is revealed is John's, as handsome as when I first saw it, but the expression on his face is full of wonder and love, not fear. He stands over me, gazing at my nearly naked form. Then, slowly, he offers me his hand and lifts me gently to my feet. He smiles, then opens his mouth. The words come haltingly, uncertainly, but they come. <sighs> Hello, mother. My heart floods with joy. Hello, my son. Then I take him in my arms and hold him close. I am filled with a tremendous sense of peace. John's sacrifice has given my son much. A strong and masculine body, an adult brain with a keen intellect, and a financial position that ensures security for us both. No one will question it when John decides to retire from his high-pressure career to spend more time with his new, beloved wife. We will find a home far from here, and settle down in our new life together. Perhaps British Columbia. Vancouver is a lovely city, and the Mother's Church is strong there. Much remains to be done, of course. For all the advantages John has given us, my son still has much to learn about the world. I do not know what he will become. The Great Mother has not revealed this to me but I like to imagine that he will become a mighty priest of the faith, that he will fill many more wombs with the black goat's progeny. Perhaps that is arrogant of me, but I will hope for it nonetheless. After all, what mother does not dream great things for her children? The End And that was our story, Maternal Instinct. I hope you enjoyed it. Hey there, folks. This is Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven in the Writing Desk, the weekly show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. This is episode 93. I hope you'll forgive me for switching up the format on you, but I felt that it was very important to present this story with as little interruption as possible. This was my first time writing a story based on the Cthulhu mythos, and I'd love to know what you thought of it. What worked for you? What didn't? 
Send me your reactions, and I'll share them in a future episode of the show. And now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 6,379 words this week, over the course of 9.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 671 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I've gone 116 days without breaking my chain. This week I made a big push on the script for my next Metamore City Live audio drama. This one is called Rafa Galeri and the Vampire's Bargain, and it will be performed at Balticon 51. The script is up over 6,100 words, out of a target length of about 9,000. If all goes well, I'll finish it this coming week. If you're going to be in Baltimore, Maryland over Memorial Day weekend, you should come watch us perform. Balticon is one of the best literary science fiction conventions I've ever been to, and they have a wonderful new media track with a lot of voices you'll recognize from the podcast fiction community. This year, it's being held at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore. You can get tickets and more information at balticon.org. Over on the Patreon feed, we have two new patrons this week. Please welcome Jarrett and Roche Alpha. Remember, being a patron is the single best thing you can do to support the show. For just a few dollars a month, you can help me keep bringing you fresh new fiction and fascinating interviews with great authors. You'll also get weekly bonus episodes from me with behind-the-scenes commentary, plus bonus art and other cool stuff. Check it out at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge today. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more writing goodness. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.